1984, a pop song was released and it went to the top of the charts. No matter how old you are, you probably know this song. Material Girl by Madonna. Does anyone not know that song? We are living in a material world. I am a material girl. I see some people singing along. You get that. When you come to Sandwich Church, you get to hear Madonna sung by the pastor. We are living in a material world, and I am a material girl. Now, I was just a little kid when that song came out. I actually didn't know the song when I was little, but I knew about the song from my pastors and children's ministry directors who talked about it for years and just how bad that song was. I didn't even know what the word material meant, you know, but I knew Madonna was bad and I knew material was bad. I heard the song later, and I think as I grew in my faith, I began to understand maybe where those pastors were coming from. They knew that we live in more than just a material world, that we also live in a spiritual world. My pastors and children's ministry directors were trying to raise spiritual people, myself included, and then this song came on the pop charts and was trying to undo what they were trying to teach us. It's true, though, we live in a material world. We also live in a spiritual world, according to the Bible. And in today's story, we see a glimpse into what's happening in the spiritual world. We will need the Holy Spirit's power to open our eyes to behold the spiritual world. We can't see it without Him opening the eyes of our hearts for it. But once He opens our eyes, once we see a glimpse of what's happening in the spiritual realm, well, there's an amazing, life-changing thing that's happening in the spiritual realm. I can't wait for you to see it as we dive into this story together. So let's do that, beginning in verse 15, just to set the scene a little bit. Elisha, who's referred to as the man of God in this story, he's the prophet in Israel. And the Israelites are being um, attacked by the Syrian army. That's just kind of setting the scene of what's happening here. And in verse 15, we pick up the story. When the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha, when the servant of Elisha rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? So the servant of Elisha wakes up early one morning. He probably walks out onto the terrace or somewhere. Or he gets a view of the surrounding, what's surrounding the city. And what does he see? He sees that the king of Syria has sent his troops to advance upon Israel. So he sees army, he sees chariots and horses. He sees armed troops. And he wakes up Elisha and says, uh-oh, what are we going to do? You see, the servant is looking out upon the material world, and he sees they're in trouble. So he says, what shall we do? And Elisha answers with a little bit of a surprising response. Verse 16, Elisha said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, the servant in this moment is probably confused, looking at Elisha saying, what are you talking about? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Those who are, our troops are still sleeping in their tents. What do you mean 
Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Are you crazy, Elisha? Are you delusional? You see, Elisha knew something that would later be revealed in the New Testament in passages like Ephesians 6, verse 12, where it says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Elisha could see more than what was going on in just the material world. The servant only had eyes to see what was going on in the material world. That's why Elisha was able to say what he said. But Elisha also knew that what the servant needed and what all of us need is for the Holy Spirit to come and lift the veil to open our spiritual eyes to behold what else is going on out there. This is hard for us to believe, isn't it? We do live in a material world. I met with a young man this week, and we were talking about his faith, and he was really honest with me, and he said, you know, Pastor, I have a scientific mind, so I really can only believe what I see in front of me and what's proven in science. It's hard for me to believe in God. I so appreciated his honesty, and all of us maybe can fit into that sometimes. It's hard to realize that there's more than the material world, that there's a spiritual world. God must open our eyes. God must open our eyes. This is exactly what Elisha prays for his servant in verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. All around Elisha. What did they see that day? The biblical writer is surely depicting a scene of angels that could only be described as horses and chariots made out of fire, made out of light. How radiant, how astounding. This scene must have been for this servant who had never had those spiritual eyes opened until this moment. And wow, horses and chariots of fire, an angel army. This is what Elisha was referring to. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, when I get to this point of the story, it's... One of the things I think about is, you know, there's so much war in the Old Testament. And when Elisha prays that his servant's eyes could be opened, why couldn't he have just seen a whole host of angels, kind of like the ones on Christmas, where they were just singing glory to God? Or why couldn't it have been a group of like cherubs, you know, just sending down love and blessing on everybody? Why does it have to be an army, an army of angels with horses and chariots? Well, it's because Elisha knew, and the Bible describes a reality that there is a battle taking place in the spiritual realm. There's a battle between good and evil. But more importantly than just knowing there's a battle going on, which might lead us into fear, the overwhelming theme, the overwhelming narrative of the Old Testament is that not only is there a battle going on, but that God is fighting it for us. God is fighting and winning the battle for us. I've had so much fun as we go through this three-year chronological study of the Bible with our children and youth. 
I've had so much fun just rediscovering the Old Testament with them. And I don't know how I missed this theme all the years. But there's this theme where God repeats it over and over again. I will fight for you. You need only to be still. Do you remember the scene when the Israelites had escaped from their slave owners in Egypt and they're heading off to the promised land, but they find themselves stuck between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army that's coming behind them? And there they are, and God could have sent a message through Moses saying, okay, arm everybody. If you don't have swords, pick up stones and throw them at the Egyptian army. But instead, he says this in Exodus 14, verse 13. Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work out for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And then here's the key. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. You see this? There is a battle going on, but God continually steps in and tells us, I'll fight this one for you. And that's what's happening here in the story with Elisha and the chariots of fire. God's saying, in the material world, you will never be able to beat this Syrian army. But in the spiritual realm, I've already won this battle. Now, I personally had an experience one time with an angel. God opened my eyes to behold a real live angel. I know I've told that story once before from this pulpit, but I have to tell it again today because it so perfectly illustrates what's happening in this story. Not only does it illustrate the fact that there's things going on in the spiritual realm, but it illustrates this fact that God is fighting our battles for us. Now, before I tell the story of the angel, I just want to mention, I basically know two types of people when it comes to belief in angels. On the one hand, some people say, I don't believe in any of that stuff. All those descriptions in the Bible, it's just like ancient world delusional people trying to describe what they couldn't know. That's basically the first category of people. The second category of people are people who say, I see angels all over the place. They're everywhere. I was one on the hood of my car this morning. Can't you see all the angels? I'm not necessarily in either one of those categories, but I believe what the Bible says that there is a spiritual realm, and I've had a couple personal experiences, and I'll tell you one right now. About eight years ago, we had just moved here from New York City, and we'd moved into the old parsonage right around the bend from here, the old Stanwich Church, which is now the Center for Hope and Renewal. And I had read the history books of Stanwich Church. I had read about the old senior pastor, Nate Adams, having a vision of an angel in the sanctuary, And he described the angel as being really big and tall, his shoulders as high as the balconies. And he was holding a sword in his hand like this. And it came at a pivotal moment in the church where he got that vision. It was really cool. And I was in the sanctuary around the bed when we first moved here. And I was praying, Lord, will you show me the same angel? And he didn't. (laughs) That was okay. Until a couple of months later, I was... In my son's bedroom, he was only about three and a half at the time. And his bedroom in the old parsonage had a window that overlooked the sanctuary. And Riley, my boy, he has occasional dreams and visions and God sightings, and he's a really spiritual kid. And When they were little like that, I used to go into their bedroom and pray for them after they were already asleep. 
And one night I was doing that, I kind of had my hands on him like this, praying for him. My back was to that window that overlooked the sanctuary. I wasn't looking with my physical eyes into the material world, but I was, you know, praying, facing Riley. But suddenly I could sense, I could feel, I could see with my spiritual eyes an angel. Not inside the sanctuary behind me, but outside the front doors of the sanctuary, right there on Taconic Road. And it was this large angel. I had this very vivid awareness of him. And he had on what I would consider like ancient Roman armor, you know, breastplate and all that stuff. And he was, he was really ripped. He had big old muscles. I remember that. Because with his left, he was kind of hunched down like this. And with his left arm, he had a big sword in his hand. And he was battling. He was fighting off what I could only sense in my spirit was this big chaotic darkness. And he was working hard. I remember there were beads of sweat all over his body. That's what was going on with his left arm, which is sort of facing away from the church. But with his right arm, he had it extended over the sanctuary, over what's now the Center for Hope and Renewal, and over my house, which is right, my old house, which is right there. But over his arm was this great, big, huge wing. And the wing extended over the sanctuary, and then it came all the way over the neighborhood over this property right here. Now, I had just moved here. I hadn't even looked on Google Maps, but if you look at that on Google Maps, it's the perfect angle. It's exactly where if your wing is extended over that sanctuary, it comes right here. I didn't know that until the next day when I looked it up, but I could see it in my spirit. And underneath that wing, which was my house and the Center for Hope and Renewal and this property, it was this, this almost like bubble of light and just harmony and peace. And Nancy and the kids were in the house just totally free and at peace. And things were going on here at the church. It was just this total protected bubble. But I could see in my spirit in that moment that all of that peace and all of that protection and all of that freedom was coming at the expense of what he was doing over here against the kingdom of darkness. And it made me very grateful for the freedom I get to have as your minister and as a dad, and as a husband, because God is fighting for me and for us. Now, I can only tell you what I sensed in my spirit that day. It was just as real as anything in the material world. God opened my eyes to sense what was going on in the spiritual realm. Now, it's possible you can hear a story like this and a message like this that God is fighting our battles for us. And it's possible you could say, well, yeah, but doesn't he want us to fight too? Doesn't he send us out into the battlefield to battle against evil with him? In a sense, that's what the king asks in verse 21, the king of Israel. This is almost a funny verse to me. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He's almost like a, like a teenager hothead or something in this moment. He's like, now that I know we got this angel army, it's now time to kill our real enemies, right? The ones in the material world. And there's something in all of us that maybe feels that way. Once we know we're on the winning side, we can go take names and conquer our enemies. But we have to remember what it says in Ephesians 6, which we looked at earlier. It says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. 
the armies we see in the material world, the people who come against us, the neighbor who's suing you, or the coworker who's coming against you, or the person in the carpool line who says, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Whatever any of that is, your, your battle, our battle is not against them. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And guess what? That battle that's going on, God is already winning. So you know what that means? In our lives, if anybody comes against us, well, let's find out what happens in verse 22. What happens now to this enemy, to this army that showed up on their doorstep ready to conquer them? If it's true that God is winning the battle in the spiritual realm, how do we treat the enemy now? Verse 22. He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you've taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them. What? Shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? No. Give them bread and water instead. That they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they'd eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. You see what happens here? When we realize that there is a spiritual realm and that God is fighting our battles for us and winning, that simply frees us up to bless those who persecute us. This is, this is kind of radical, you guys. This is kind of crazy when you first hear it. But it is the way of Christ. This is the way of Christ. It was Jesus who said in Matthew 5, verse 38, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? Right? But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Or what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. This is the way of Christ. It's totally radical. How can we do this? How is it possible for us to do this? It's because of what Jesus has done for us that he has defeated our greatest enemy. When Jesus went to the cross and was buried in the tomb and rose again on the third day, he defeated the greatest enemy any of us will ever face. He defeated Satan. He defeated sin. He defeated the consequences of sin. And he defeated death. Death is no more because of his resurrection. The greatest battle any of us will ever face has already been won. So if anybody comes against us in some pathetic little skirmish here on earth, we can look at those people and say, my battle isn't against you. My battle is against the enemy and he's already been defeated. So how can I bless you today? It's the way of Christ. And it's totally radical. We witnessed one of the most profound examples of this I've ever seen, right here this past Wednesday night. We did a movie screening of the film Emmanuel. 
which is about the church shooting in South Carolina. Those of you who were here, you saw it. It was mind-boggling in what it expressed, what it showed. There was a young man who came into a church and sat through an entire Bible study with people who were doing a Bible study there. And at the end of the Bible study, when they bowed their heads to pray, he shot them. Nine people died. And he went to one woman, and he said, have I shot you? And she said, no. And he said, good, I'm not going to. I want you to go tell everybody. He was trying to start a race war. And that woman was here on Wednesday, watching the film with us, and she talked in the panel afterward. So after this horrific tragedy, 48 hours later, some of those who had survived, who had lost loved ones in the shooting, they were in this courtroom, and the judge arranged that a TV monitor would be put up with a live image of the shooter. So there they were, face to face, those whose loved ones had died facing the ones who had killed them. And the first woman who was from the church stood up and the judge said, what do you want to say to him? And you know what the first woman said? She said, we just want you to know we forgive you. And may God have mercy on your soul. You could see his eyes. He was confused. He was like, this is not the way it was supposed to go. He was trying to start a race war, and he was getting forgiven. And then the minister stood up. There were four ministers at this church. Three of them were killed at the Bible study. The one remaining one stood up. The judge said, what do you want to say to the shooter? And he said, I just want to reiterate what she said. We forgive you, and God forgives you. And young man, I want you to know you can repent. You can come to Christ. He died on the cross for you, and he forgives you. This is so almost absurd, isn't it? And yet, you know what it did? It totally changed the atmosphere. It totally changed the scene. The newspapers published what had happened. And the movie showed how in all these previous shootings in the cities where it was race-related, riots ensued and all this chaos. But in Charleston, there was peace. And it started with this gesture of forgiveness. So it's counterintuitive for us. We want to say... Let's strike down our enemies. And God says, no, I'm fighting and winning the battle for you. Now you are freed up simply to bless your enemies, to forgive them, to offer them mercy, to offer them grace. And that actually, counterinstinctually, defeats them. It changes them. It, it deflates the battle entirely. It's the way of Christ. I was thinking about what to offer us all as like a practical takeaway for this. And I, I basically have thought of two kinds of prayers we all could pray. Maybe for some of you who are here, even the fact that there is a spiritual realm is new to you. That's kind of, you know, an idea. So for you, I would just simply pray what Elisha prayed for his servant. Lord, open their eyes. Lord, open their eyes so that they might see that there's more than just a material world. But for those of you who already have those eyes open, the prayer that I want to offer you is a prayer that you would pray. And I've been learning to pray this prayer over the last year as we've gone through the Old Testament, seeing that God wants to fight and win our battles for us. 
I'm learning how to pray simply saying, like when something's happening, when someone's coming against me, or when there's a really difficult situation, I simply pray, Lord, will you fight this battle for me? You know, sometimes when I pray that, I hear the Holy Spirit say, Nathan, go make that hard phone call. Don't try to get out of it. (laughs) Seriously. But other times, I just rest. And I trust that the one who told the Israelites, you need only to be still. I will fight for you. That he fights for me as well. That he fights and wins. And that I don't even have to concern myself sometimes when stuff like that's happening. And I'm watching over the last year as he goes before me and wins some of those battles. It's a life-changing prayer. I encourage you to try it this week. Lord, will you fight this one for me? It's a life-changing prayer that I'll leave you with. Amen.